Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. Good afternoon. This is Tuesday's Late Lunch and you're very welcome along. This is Barbara Scully here. Um, Today is budget day and I know that for lots of us it's the kind of day when you get a bit of a knot in your stomach thinking and wondering how much less well off you might be going into the coming months. This budget of course is unique. Um, It's the biggest so-called, and I, I hate this term, giveaway budget in the history of the state. And yet after it we'll probably still be worried about the bills going into winter. But I'm kind of tend to be a glass half full kind of a woman and let's hope that the government have done enough um, so that, I mean, we will, we will all get through. Um, but hopefully, as I say, the government have done enough. I mean, most of the information has been leaked already. Copy with the days when you used to wait with bated breath to wonder what was coming. We kind of know most of what was coming. One of the positive things, I think, um, and something I'm very happy about, even though it doesn't affect me anymore, is that after decades of pretending we have free education, we finally will have free education for primary school kids and they're getting their free free school books and that's a long overdue step and it's a big step forward so I'm glad to see that. Also glad to see that there is uh, uh, going to be a a decrease in class sizes promised and along with increased places for children with special needs so um, I'm glad there's some emphasis being put on education there. Budget day always makes me think of my dear old dad. He absolutely loved budget day because he loved numbers and he loved doing sums. And once he retired, he used to sit in front of the telly listening to the Minister for Finance, usually with an old brown envelope on his knee on which he'd do all his calculations. I used to dread arriving home from work because as soon as I came in the door, he'd make me sit down while he explained how changes in tax bans and allowances and whatnot would affect my meagre wages. And my eyes would glaze over because all I heard was blah, 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 blah. And at the end of his lecture, he'd look at me and he'd say, you haven't a clue, sure you don't. And I'd nod. And he was sad that his daughter was an idiot. And he was reminded every year of that fact on budget day. Anyway, um, I'm looking for help on on something else. 
Yesterday I mentioned spiders and, and that I'm not a fan of spiders. They they totally freak me out. What freaks me out about spiders is they don't have a front and they don't have a back or a side. You don't know which way you're looking at them and which way which way they're going to go when they decide to move and the fact that they move around at the speed of light when they suddenly do start to get going. I told you yesterday, I don't think you were very um, affected by this though. I did tell you yesterday about the one I met in my bed over the weekend. Well, last night I went up to have a bath into the bathroom I go and there is a big hairy spider sitting in my bath. Now, there was no water in the bath. He wasn't having a bath, but he was sitting in the bath. And I just looked at him. And if you've listened, if you have listened to me in the last uh, week or so, you'll know I love animals and I'm big into biodiversity and wildlife and all. But I just have an issue with spiders. I, I, I mean, I don't like killing them, but I don't really want to share my house or my bath with them. And I had no choice, but I had to wash him down the plug hole, which I felt bad. I felt guilty for doing it. Um, and then I woke up in the middle of the night. It was obviously on my mind. I woke up in the middle of the night coughing, which is not usual. And then I was convinced that maybe I swallowed a spider. <laughs> I'm just convinced they're all coming in because it's getting that's getting dark or it's getting cold. Um, so now I heard something recently about chestnuts, that chestnuts can be used for keeping spiders out. But I don't know where to put the chestnuts. If I had to put chestnuts in my bath, put them on the windowsill. I don't even know how spiders get in. Um, so I need any tips, any help, any old wives tales, any solutions that are not cruel. I, as I say, I don't like killing them, but I just want to discourage them from sharing my house. I'm not really that keen on all of that. Anyway, talking about wildlife, I am delighted to be talking to our friend first guest today. And um, when we think of of rainforests, we think of exotic locations in Asia or in South America, but do you know that here in Ireland we should have natural temperate rainforests which look nothing like the kind of forests that we're used to with the Christmas trees um, which are grand for producing wood but I think ecologically are fairly barren deserts. Down on the beautiful Bera Peninsula in West Cork a place I know quite well one man has embarked on a project of rewilding his land which is allowing nature to re-establish a temperate rainforest which is now apparently buzzing with, ni- with nightlife. No, no, it's not buzzing with nightlife it's buzzing with wildlife Owen Dalton you're very welcome to Late Lunch Thank you Barbara thanks for having me on a real pleasure Oh look at I just got your book yesterday so I've only dipped into it and I'll come back to that in a moment but um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into it but let me start by asking you you are not a native Cork or even a Kerry man um, you're from Dublin what took you to a farm in West Cork I think 12 years ago or so? Yeah, I I sold my house and moved with my family from uh, Kilmainham in Dublin to the Bear Peninsula wow. in May, May two thousand and nine. Uh, and you're right, I'm I'm not from the southwest. Although as a child, we used to regularly go down to the Dingle Peninsula in Kerry for oh. for visits over the summer. We used to spend a lot of time there, so uh, the area wasn't unfamiliar to me, but. Um, and when you went there for the first time, I think I read somewhere that you described when you went to look at this farm that you knew instantly this was where you were going to set up home. I did. Uh, I, I had an idea what what I was looking for. The, 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 um, the thought of selling up in Dublin and moving somewhere in the country in, in Ireland was there floating around for a long time. So I had plenty of time to think about exactly what I was looking for. And one of the things that happened was that early on in that process, 
I visited the, the, the Bear Peninsula and I kind of fell in love with the landscape, the, 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 the forms of the mountains and the sea and, and all the rest of it. Um, but another thing that struck me, because I had this, I had this plan that I wanted to buy some land and plant lots of native trees and, and watch them grow into a, a forest. Right. But visiting the Bear Peninsula... Uh, and looking out for little pockets of land for sale, one of the things I started to realise was that any pieces of land that had been left alone for uh, a period of time, i.e. that they hadn't been farmed, uh, they, they, they'd all gone back to wild uh, natural habitat, largely forest themselves, without anything needing to be planted. So I said, right, um, that that will speed up the process in a big way. And I started looking out for something along those lines. What I ended up finding, which was a 73-acre farm near Iris, was far and away beyond any kind of expectations that I might have had. It was just, it was just absolutely amazing for me. I was delighted. And what was it about it that was far exceeding your demands? Was it the fact that it was kind of half rewilded, if you like, already? Absolutely. Most of the land, I didn't know it at the time, but the the farm had an old uh, ruined uh, cottage on the land and the family who used to live there, the Crowleys, had mostly emigrated to the United States um, and even... The, the ones who, who stayed behind, they didn't really do much with the land. I, I subsequently, through plenty of dete- some detective work, managed to work out that from about 1909 onwards, nothing much really had been done with the land. Uh, coincidentally, uh, practically virtually uh, an exact century before we arrived in 2009. But over the course of that time, nothing much had been done with the land and it had, it had mostly gone back to wild native forest through the, the, the wild trees seeding out. Um, because we have this idea that trees need to be planted, but they actually really don't. They, trees were, you know, uh, reproducing without any kind of difficulties for hundreds of millions of years before we came along. And the way that we, that's mostly now uh, prevented is through uh, grazing animals, either livestock or uh, unnaturally high densities of, of deer or other grazers. Um, <clears throat> so uh, consequently, we have this idea that, you know, if, if you want a tree somewhere, you, you need to go and dig a hole and plant it, plant one. But that's absolutely not true. So anyway, the, this forest had, had gone back to wild native forest uh, in this wonderful way. But on on the downside, um, that process of going back to nature had been completely blocked for the last decade or two before we came, um, by mainly by feral goats. Somebody had introduced a, a few goats into the area and they had started to proliferate and they were eating every last tree seedling uh, as well as stripping out all of the very rich ground flora that we normally associate with a with a na- native forest. Um, so the place was um, ecologically wrecked. Right, God, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so 
my what I've been engaged in over the last 13 years since then is really just bringing the place back to ecological health. So in order to do that, you had to fence off this area of forest, correct, to keep your feral goats uh, away and That's also right. seek a deer, which I believe are not native deer to Ireland anyway, and they're equally damaging the, the, uh, the development of the rainforest. They are. They're both what are called uh, invasive species. So invasive species are not native and they're, for some reason, they've managed to get out of balance with the, the natural native environment and, they're, and they damage it. Right. Um, and in, in this case, they were also facilitating takeover by another non-native invasive species, in this case, a plant, Rhododendron ponticum, right. which, was, which was taking over large swathes of the forest. Uh, and everywhere throughout the place, there were tiny little seedlings or saplings coming up everywhere. So I really had to approach the, the, the problem on two fronts. The, the first one was to apply for a grant to, to fence off the forest and fence out the goats and the sika deer. Yeah. And in the meantime, while that was working its way through um, the, the government, the relevant government department, I started removing the rhododendron and there were about seven or eight other non-native invasive plant species there as well. That needed um, to go as well. Yeah. And is the fact that you are down in that southwest corner of Ireland, which I think um, has been described as a kind of microclimate, that the forest is termed a rainforest or could this kind of forest happen in anywhere on the island? It's kind of hard to know. Uh, you need particular conditions for rainforest. You need to have high levels of rain, obviously, but also other types of precipitation like, you know, uh, mist, fog, drizzle, whatever else. All of all the forms that, that water from the sky takes. You also need a high uh, relative humidity generally. Uh, but even more important than the the amount of water that falls is is how frequently it does so. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and in Bera, you know, the, you you get a lot of what are called wet days, which are days with soft days. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no <yeah>. bug. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think talking countrywide, I think like if you were to get out a map and look at the areas that get most rainfall, all of those would have had rainforest one once upon a time. Okay, and but tell me when you have when you've done what you've done now, twelve years down down the line, and and you've the feral goats are are gone, and the deer and the rhododendron. What has re-established because of what you've allowed to ha- to happen? What has what has what has surprised you that has suddenly blossomed forth of its own volition? Well, there's there's just been the most wonderful transition. Um, I don't think I'm really capable of putting into words what I've seen happen in in the years since. the 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 whole place has just absolutely come to life. So there are many, and there are many different levels to that. Yeah. First off, the trees, the the the, the seedlings that were that had always been popping up everywhere, but were continually being munched yeah. they were able they were able to start growing into into young trees and and in 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 areas where previously there was only grassland you know, you now have wild native forest without planting anything um, right. on top of that um 
all of this incredibly rich ground flora of, you know, scores of different types of wildflowers, bluebells, celandine, wood anemone, wood sorrel, dog violet, primrose, wow. uh, and so many more. They all just, the, the, I mean, it didn't happen immediately. It, it, it took a few years for it to kind of gain momentum. But since then, there's just been this incredible process of, of um, coming to life. It just shows you that nature knows what it's doing in a way that we really haven't a breeze a lot of the time about. It absolutely does. Now, what I would say is that that has been possible because you already, you're working with a, a relatively good ecological baseline. There. Right, OK, because the land had been, yeah. Yeah, you're talking about there was forest already there and all of the associated biodiversity was obviously already there. It was just kind of repressed. Um, So if you, for example, if you took a piece of, I don't know, the the Dublin Dublin Mountains, excuse me, and did the same thing if if you fenced out all the grazers. Yeah. I think the same thing would probably happen, but it would it would it would take a good deal longer because yeah. you wouldn't have that um, healthy place start. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. have that reservoir of of thousands of different uh, it sounds, species there. It sounds like what you described just sounds like absolute paradise. And people can read all about this because you've written a lovely book. And as I say, I only got my hands on it yesterday and I've only literally started to read it. But it's beautifully written. So can I congratulate you on that as well, Owen Dalton. And it is produced by, it is published by Hachette Books and it is now in all good bookshops. And the book is called An Irish Atlantic Rainforest, A Personal Journey into the Magic of Rewinding. And it is written by the man I'm speaking to, Owen Dalton. Owen, thank you so much for your time today. people, if they're down that neck of the woods, are you open for people to come and visit or do you not want me to, to, to mention I'm, that? I'm actually not, I'm afraid, because uh, for insurance reasons so, Fair. and so on, I, I looked into the possibilities of doing a yeah. kind of a, an eco-tourism sure. scheme, but in the end, I, I didn't. because. Well, we could read about it in your book and there's lovely photographs there as well. Owen, again, many thanks for joining us today. That was Owen Dalton uh, talking about his rainforest down on the Berra Peninsula in West Cork. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch with me, Barbara Scully. Now, I'm very grateful. Somebody has actually texted in uh, or WhatsApped in to me to tell me peppermint oil for spiders is the way to go. So um, I have some peppermint oil. Do I di- this is a stupid question. I don't dilute it. I just drop the oil like the essential oil around where? Where? Windows, doors, walls. I'm not really too sure. Anyway, I'll have the whole house spe- smelling of peppermint um, if the spiders keep appearing at the rate that they are. But I much appreciate that that uh, um, that tip. I will give that a shot. Now, the war in Ukraine is now into its seventh month, seventh month, and we know that we've had refugees arriving here in Ireland for their safety. We've also had aid being sent to Ukraine from Ireland. One such aid trip recently to Ukraine led to a kind of poignant and unusual gift to the volunteers. Joining me to tell us the story now is Mick Hughes. Hello, Mick. How are you? Hi, Barbara. How are you? Thanks very much for having us on. Osh, look, it's great to talk to you and congratulations on, on, a, on a successful trip delivering aid. First of all, can you tell me what it was you were bringing to Ukraine? Well, we assembled a, a, a group of volunteers to, to raise uh, money to, to, and to buy, uh, and a lot of them did with their personal funds, uh, 11 4x4 jeeps. There was a definite need for 4x4s given the terrain and the damage that's done out there. 
and the winter, the uncommon winter months to get people to where they need to be for to safety and 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 out of the front lines as well. Sure. Um, so we 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 had uh, groups set up in uh, we had Kilchaman County Mayo, Kilchaman to Kiev set up, uh, Tola and County Clare um, helped within a Darren Drahada with uh, Dr Murdoch Kennedy uh, jumped on board with one as well, and Trimble, Iver, Dalik, Dublin, Port Dublin, County Galway, everywhere represented. We had doctors, nurses, mechanics, aid workers uh, across section, and we joined together with. Uh, two existing charities uh, the Beacon Ukraine Appeal with, uh, headed up by Damien Meany up in the Beacon Hospital and ESPA uh, um, who, who we worked with before in Haiti and are continue to work in Haiti but have already sent 33 truckloads out to uh, Ukraine of aid so far so wow. we have experts and, and, and they, they put us in contact uh, the big group was uh, Trinity Foundation headed up by Victoria Baxter in, 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 in Ukraine so we knew that everything was going where, where it needed to go uh, so we loaded it up with, and uh, ESPA provided us with all of the aid to fill the jeeps and Beacon Hospital and threw in uh, over 50,000 euros worth of medical equipment for the hospital, the sister hospital out there to help as well. So this was a big, this was a big project. Um, so you set off presumably in convoy um, with your 11 4x4 jeeps all filled to the gunnels. Now you didn't get off to the best of starts, I believe. Things went wallop on the M50 initially, which was... <laughs> Things did. Um, we, 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 we were very lucky that uh, we, we had the MacGyvers with us. Uh, we had the MacGyver mechanics uh, that jumped on board. We, improvisation started uh, just off the M50 when we came down to the Sugarloaf Mountain and we had to put uh, a two-litre bottle of water uh, and, and, and attach it to the side of the engine and, and take the diesel out of that, while some of our other drivers, the, the, the Kilchamar crew, uh, had, had, had rally, rally buddies open a garage to keep a garage open in Enniscorty to, to help get us onto the boat. Uh, otherwise, we'd have lost one jeep straight away very good well as I say yeah that sounds like very inventive and very creative anyway you made the journey you got to Ukraine can you describe meeting the people to whom you were going to uh, pass over this aid what happened when you got there well, it was an immediate drop of the curtain. It was. It was. Uh, we we were tired. We were out on our last legs. We were on adrenaline. We we'd done a massive drive on the Thursday. Uh, we'd only two hours sleep with other breakdowns in the way, and we had to keep everything going. But when we got there, the the, the recipients came out across uh, onto the police side to welcome us. And right. When I say when I say a welcome, it was absolutely. Uh, overwhelming and uh, we knew straight away we were in the right place and they brought us through the checkpoint and on down to a reception where the mayor of the local town had come out and, and all of the other folks to, to help get the jeeps and they had food reception gifts for us you name it uh, and we didn't want that we weren't expecting any of this of course I got out chucked out the jeep and I was presented with a cake that makes a wedding cake in Ireland look minute by comparison it was it was, and this uh-huh. was a tra- traditional Ukrainian thing it was just blew us away and then of course Barbara then they, they gave us some Ukrainian poutine and that set us <laughs> that set us wild <laughs> I hope you took some of that back in case you had a breakdown on the way back it would have probably done instead of diesel or whatever went into your vehicles coming back how did that feel how did that feel for you as an Irish man you know kind of representing your country there bringing this aid to these people who were so great how did you feel well, there's a couple of emotions. We're addicted now because we're not finished. We have to do more. Um, wow. 
that's the first thing. The second thing is never prouder of a group of, I was 17 of us uh, on the trip, and I was never prouder of a group that were thrown together who knew, who knew only each other through WhatsApp conversation and how they gelled and became a band of brothers and sisters, I was reminded by a couple of them. Very good, uh, yes. On the journey. My own partner, Orla, had to drop out at the 11th hour through to a family bereavement and a girl that had done Haiti with us before jumped in as a substitute literally with hours notice and jumped in and, and took Orla's place and called the Jeep Orla, Mitsubishi <laughs> Orla, the whole way through. So it was, it was So Orla was there in spirit. In spirit, yeah. yeah. yeah and you did get one kind of unusual gift. I mean, you've described the cake and there was food and you, the putching, but there was also one kind of slightly, I suppose, nearly poignant and, and kind of unusual gift that you were given as well. Oh, it was, yeah. The, the, the mayor there through the translator uh, said, we have another gift for you here and we pointed this over and they came out with a rucksack and the rucksack, he informed us, through the translator was left behind by the retreating Russian forces two weeks ago when the battle for to retake part of Kherson happened. Uh, so we had the rucksack and when we opened the rucksack his his trousers was in there, his camouflage trousers and his rations and uh, and even the dates on the, on some of the food items in the rations. If I tell you, if, if the Ukrainians don't repel the Russians, I, I suspect that half of them are going to get food poisoned anyway. Right, yeah. That's kind of poignant as well, was it? Just to, to kind of handle something like that that you, you know... Uh, it, 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 yeah, it definitely was, and and of course the MacGyver principle came in because uh, <laughs> Doctor Murdoch Canadian had brought out a set of tools. Uh, most of the tools we were bringing out were going to be left with the Ukrainians, but he had his personal set that was going to come back. Right. And he decided then to present them as a present to the Ukrainians to go with the jeeps, which left us with what, that we could check one bag in on the plane. So we were going to bring back all this vodka and that, but there was no other bag available other than this particular rucksack. <laughs> But then when you're in the airport, you're wondering, is, was there explosives in this rucksack? Is the sniffer dogs going to, are they going to, what else is going to happen here? But it was definitely a smell of diesel that overruled everything else. So this guy had to be on tanks or something. <laughs> Do you know something? Somebody should have been there writing all this down or you need to write a book because, I mean, that, that just sounds hilarious. I mean, in such sad, difficult situations, it's great that you're bringing so much humour to it. Um, I presume then you did mention that this is addictive. So you've, you've plans for more, have you? They're already afoot. Um, uh, we know we know that the Beacon Group are sending out another ambulance, and and one of our own guys has 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 um, uh, uh, only this morning we've discovered he's he's well on the way to securing the second ambulance, and then of course we have a residual a few bob left that we're going to put towards a, maybe a twelve jeep and, and get a twelve jeep off. Uh, nice. So we have all of these things going on, uh, and then at the same time we're working together with Espa. Uh, the project Espa uh, are doing a raffle. They've sent out thirty three truckloads of aid so far and they want to send out the same again so they've got a big raffle with massive prizes John Deere tractors and that I'd, I'd ask people there to go on to projectespa.ie and, and support that because that's going to they, they really need all this aid going through the winter it's going to be massive uh, this, just because this has gone off the headlines yes. news, it's, it's worse it's getting not better for the, for the time being so we really need to, to help and support in every which way we can going forward so we will be going back yeah. uh, there's no doubt about that no doubt God, that's just amazing May I ask you one final question on the on this element? Um, uh, what happened to the rucksack? Did you where is that? Where's the rucksack? The rucksack is going to be framed in a box in the Stockhouse restaurant, along with some of the other stuff that that we got uh, that uh, that they gave us as well. So we're going to have a dedicated a dedicated uh, little area Display. to 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 our our trip our our trip to 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 uh, to. 
Ukraine and then of course Ailish one of the girls if we go on to uh, we have it on our Stockhouse page but if we go on to it Ailish is doing a blog every day she's a fantastic writer and she's been detailing the trip now she's on day three already and the, the final sequence will be tomorrow or the day after tomorrow and so it is being documented and it's, oh, it's great. It, 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 it'll make it fantastic and of course the Ukrainian side have done likewise uh, so there's massive documentation of the whole trip and, and everything involved from both sides and where can people side. Where can people find that, Mick? Can they can they read that well, at the moment? We're, we're, we're putting everything up on the Stockhouse Restaurant Facebook page. Oh, uh, right. as, yeah, as we speak, and on my own one, of course. Excellent. I can see, yeah. Have you thought, have you given any thought to who you want to play in the movie? <laughs> I'm only, I'm only, I'm only a support role. I'll be honest with you. I was carried on the shoulders of sixteen other other volunteers on this trip, and and uh, the team from the Stockhouse here. And I have to say, there's no one. You, you were never prouder of uh, with Irish flags uh, on the on the sides of the jeeps. That was never as never prouder of the colours. And we 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 definitely represented ourselves coming from as far as you could come from the other side of Europe to support our brothers in Ukraine. And they 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 know Irish history. They actually were quoting back to us how much we had in common. So really? we'll be, when this is all over we'll be making a point of supporting Ukraine in a different way by going out there in holidays and, and, could you and their cheer, cheer their football team when Ireland aren't playing maybe huh? Now you're, now you're talking <laughs> <laughs> Listen you mentioned that you're proprietor of the Stockhouse uh, yeah. restaurant in Trim there um, I haven't you know, I, I, because I've been on air but I know that the, the uh, 9% um, rate the VAT rate on hospitality I think is going isn't it it's not going to it's not going to stay how do you feel about that? We'd be disappointed in that particular one, but we over just over. Uh, I think there's time to fight that fight. But I mean, I do believe that the the, the better news in in the budget that's that's starting to break now is that there's going to be a relief on the forty uh, of up to forty percent rebate on the increases in energy costs, which is the difference between being able to stay open or having to close. That's the simple truth of it. It's it'll negate next uh, the first of October's rises and a little bit of the of the previous rise. And provided there's no further rises, it'll be enough to see us through the winter that particular one but the 9% is, is a sticking point it's something that will have to be revisited and that, that fight will go on do you think absolutely yeah you've had a bruising uh, you've had a bruising couple of months really between well a couple of years between Covid and now these rising energy costs it's tough to keep the show on the road I'd imagine well, it's 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 not just that, it, and you had the, the the staff shortages stuck it in the yes. middle, and of course, it's not just the energy crisis. Uh, every other cost has gone up, and the availability of some things like like uh, cooking oils and 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 and, and flour based products and chicken and all these things mm. have gone through the roof as well. So, and you can't pass any more onto the consumer because everybody has taken a nine percent reduction in their wages because of the cost of living rising by nine percent. So we we, we it's 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 a double edged sword here. So I mean, we are a luxury restaurants are a luxury item. So people are, are going to be eaten less often or less when they come in unless we can rejig our menus and, and make, make it but we certainly can't be passing on those increased costs anymore mm. so it, we genuinely have to try and, and get the relief elsewhere and I believe that will happen. Good, good. You're very positive Mick. I love your positivity. It radiates from your voice and from your words. So and, and congratulations on that amazing uh, work. I know as you say you were only one of a team. I know there was a lot of people involved but uh, it makes I think us all proud as Irish people to know um, that, that the lengths uh, to which you went in order to, 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 to get some help out to the people who need it most in Ukraine. That was Mick Hughes there from the Stockhouse Restaurant in Trim. Back after the... Mm. Two on Tuesday. Um, so our two on Tuesday today comes from 1994. 
Baby I Love Your Way is a song that was written and performed by English singer Peter Frampton. I was a big fan of Peter Frampton back in the day. He was very cute, very cute. Anyway, he released um, Baby I Love Your Way as a single in September 1975. 20 years later, in 1994, reggae was big and the American reggae pop band Big Mountain released a cover version of the song, um, which appeared on the soundtrack of the movie Reality Bites. Their version achieved major worldwide success. It reached number six in the US Billboard charts and number two in the UK singles charts. It also went into the top 10 in countries all over Europe, including Denmark, Spain and Sweden and also Australia and New Zealand. So it really was a very big worldwide hit. Uh, But it never got to number one. Anyway, here it is. This is Big Mountain and Baby I Love Your Way. So, what was it that kept that nice little harmless ditty off the top spot of number one? Well, it was a song that wasn't just big, it was enormous in 1994, thanks to the equally huge movie, Four Weddings and a Funeral. That was the movie that made a star of Hugh Grant. Yep, the song was Love Is All Around by Scottish group Wet, Wet, Wet. And it was so all around, it started to drive people absolutely mad. Love Is All Around is the song that was first recorded by the Trogs uh, and first released in 1967. It was covered later by various artists, but it was the Wet, Wet, Wet cover, which was recorded specifically for the soundtrack to Four Weddings and a Funeral. That was an international hit. And get this, it spent... 15 consecutive weeks at number one. 15 consecutive weeks at number one. And it honestly did. I mean, anybody who remembers it will know it actually drove people around the twist. Um, In fact, towards the end of that run, some radio stations actually banned the song because listeners were fed up hearing it and and were complaining about having it on the radio. And in the end, the band, Wet, 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 themselves actually took the decision to delete the record from sale. They had to put a stop to it. So here it is. It'll whiz you right back to 1994. This is Love Is All Around from Wet, Wet, Wet. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully. Okay, we're now going to talk about suicide and suicide prevention. And joining me on the line is Ushin Scollard, who is one of the co-founders of the charity Turn To Me. Welcome, Ushin. Thank you for taking our call today. Good afternoon, Barbara. Thanks a million and thanks for having us on the show. Not at all. Listen, Ushin, can I start by asking, um, you and your brother Dermot set up uh, Turn To Me. Can I ask you, first of all, what it was that prompted you to set up the charity? (laughs) Okay, I don't think that was Ushin. Um, There's a kind of a gremlin on the line there, I think. Um, yeah, we're going to try and get Oshin uh, back on the line. Um, while we're waiting for that to happen, there was obviously some serious problem there with the line. I want to tell you about uh, mams.ie, which um, is a group of parents. I don't think it's just mothers. They're holding a parent and baby showing of the movie See How They Run. That's tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow, Wednesday, the 28th of September in the Ark Cinema and Drogheda at 11am. Uh, now, See How They Run is apparently uh, the story of a desperate Hollywood film producer who sets out to turn 
turn a popular play into a film. But a film. Did I actually say that I did? A film. A film. Uh, when members of the production are murdered, world-weary Inspector Stoppard and rookie Constable Stalker find themselves in the midst, midst of a puzzling whodunit. So it sounds like a bit of crack. Anyway, if you're a mammy or a daddy with a baby and you want to go along, you would be very, very welcome. Um, so contact mams.ie uh, uh, for that. OK, I think we have Ushin back on the line now. Am I right, Ushin? Are you there? Yes, I am, Barbara. How are you doing? I don't know what got at what got at the line there a few moments ago. It sounded very strange. Anyway, um, I just want to ask you, as I said, you are one of the co-founders of the charity Turn to Me, the mental health charity. What prompted you and your brother Dermot to set it up? Yeah, we set up uh, Turn to Me in 2009 as a, as a national online uh, mental health support website, really. And it was because... We had sadly gone through a suicide, Barbara, so our brother Cormac, uh, Cormac Scholars had died by suicide in 2003, and it was really something that we wanted to to, to, to give back, I suppose, and, and turn a, a, a tragedy into something positive, because at the time we noticed that well, Cormac had accessed a certain degree of online support, and they, um, they may not have been necessarily fully moderated or, or safe, so we set about doing that ourselves. In uh, The journey started really in 2008 and then we went live in 2009. Excellent. And I mean, I know you, you have said uh, um, in the past and I think, and I should say to you that um, I also lost my brother to suicide uh, some 26 years ago. Um, and as you have said yourself, that suicide has this huge ripple effect. So that goes out uh, affecting communities and family, the family, the friends and the, the communities and the colleagues of the person um, who has died. Isn't that right? Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your loss as well, Barbara. And, and, it, and it does, I think, for us, it, it, it's the very final nature of it, I suppose, and, and, and the fact that it's irreversible. And for those that are left behind, family, friends, and, and Cormac had a, had a wide kind of network of friends, it was it was real devastation, I suppose, and guilt, because it's the irreversible nature of it. And, and people start to go back over what they did or maybe didn't do, or, you know, did, did, did I turn up at the right time or not turn up at the right time? And you start to kind of question a lot of that. And Sadly, there are things you'll never really truly get answers to and, and something that many, many people, I suppose, as a ripple effect, need yeah. to then deal with themselves. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep, absolutely. So tell me, um, what help is provided? Turn to Me is an online, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, an online portal or facility, isn't that correct? Yeah, it's an online um Really, it's it's called a lifeline online. That's the the, the mission of the organisation is to be that lifeline online to people. So, gives people all over Ireland another, uh, I suppose, option in terms of their the support options that they've got, and they can go online to turn to me.ie. They can create a free account. And they can log in essentially into you're right. What is a portal? And um, it is a number of different services that start off with a peer service where people are talking to people, and it's moderated and. Um, right up into the next layer, which is a group support, which is on uh, every day on different topics like dealing with suicidal thoughts and feelings and depression and anxiety. And that, again, is fully moderated. Um, and then right up to a professional one-to-one counselling service, which is offering six free counselling sessions to people all over Ireland um, and uh, funded by, by the HSE in Slanchiker. Fantastic, fantastic. And is it available then? Uh, so it's available every day of the year? I presume it's not 24 hours, is it? Or 
Uh, no, well, no, it's not. I mean, there's, there's obviously the services or there's information services that are there. All the time. Yeah, all the time. But 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 the 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 main services are seven days a week, three hundred and sixty five days a year, and um, people can apply and they'll be they'll hear back from the team in in a reasonably quick quick time period. Yeah, which is always very important with people who are in, in 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 this kind of mental health crisis. Can you tell me a little bit? One of the things that caught my eye on your website is your thought. It's hard to say. Thought catcher. Um, tell me what that what that is and how it works. Yeah, so thought catcher is um, essentially a mood and feelings diary where uh, anyone can go on and they can track their mood uh, for this particular moment and do it a couple of times a day and, and and really the thought that goes with that. So it's it's kind of catching your thought, catching your mood, and then it's it's charting that for you so you can go right back over a window of time, week, a month, a year, and see how your mood has been going. Um, the great thing about that is you can make it public or private and when you make it public others can then come in and comment and offer a bit of support or maybe their their experience as well and we have a team monitoring all of that um, and of course then where needed the team can actually come in and it's something that we like to call a kind of a pull mental health service as opposed to push so um, we can see and spot somebody that may need some that, some some help or intervention and, and really place the option there before them to get that, be it a group or be it a one-to-one counselling service. So it's been a, a very effective way of connecting with people in the moment with what they're actually experiencing. Yeah, and you should, I, I mean, I, I think maybe you did say it, but the moderators that you refer to, these are health professionals who are trained to spot things that they need to be able to spot. Isn't that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and kind of fully trained and there's a whole programme that goes with that inside the organisation. Yeah. Your vision, which again is outlined on your website, is to create a world where mental health issues are acknowledged and accepted and where every person in distress will feel confident to openly access the support service that they need, safe in the knowledge that attitudes have changed based on a communal understanding and a willingness to support each other. I, one of the things I presume that you're st- that we as a society are still working against when it comes to mental health and, and particularly when it comes to suicide is stigma, that people still find it difficult to reach out and say, I'm in trouble. Yeah, I think I think we've moved a long way on, thankfully, in that respect, since certainly since um, since Cormac's passing in 2003. I, I almost think about it, Barbara, in kind of two steps, because the there's the first step of saying I need to get mental health support and then there's the second element of um, I'm now living with or maybe diagnosed or getting help through a mental health difficulty and I think that's the bit for me that's I think the observation I have is where the stigma still lies we're great at talking about mental health in in a kind of an abstract kind of way but when it personalizes to the person I think that's when there's a stigma and I don't even know if it's always a stigma is it just a helplessness is it a, a taboo of I don't know what to say I don't know how to respond and and maybe that's where we need to as a society put more time and effort into is becoming a bit more resilient with dealing with that and becoming a bit more uh, versed in how we might deal with that and, and going okay that's fine well what can I do or how can I help rather than I, I I'm, I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable and I, and I don't know how to deal with this and particularly I think from what we hear and see of, it happens a lot in, in within employers where there's the lofty talk about mental well-being, but when it comes down to the, the diagnostic or the, the, the living with it, the, things can kind of sadly change. 
or having somebody that needs a little bit of extra support uh, through a p- bit of a crisis. As you say, we're good at talking about it in a, in a particularly abstract way. I think what you've done is superb. Um, and I think the fact that you have honoured your brother Cormac by setting up um, uh, Turn To Me, which is clearly providing a lot of help and much needed help, um, is, is terrific. So um, I congratulate you for that. I mean, I think also one of the things from my own personal experience is that, you know, um, I know know many families and, and especially parents can feel guilty for decades after the loss um, of, of a loved one and it's terrific that there are now and, and every year there are more supports available and we are making progress and it is coming out of the shadows and the stigma is being is being uh, uh, dealt with head on um, but most people who take their own lives are, are extremely loved and I just think that families need to know that that they didn't fail that they they are ex- they, they in most cases these people are extremely well loved and and grieved hugely when by the people they leave behind. Anyway, Oshin, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate that and continued success with what you're thank doing. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch with me, Barbara Scully. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have money to invest at the moment, but you might have a few bob that you'd like to make into a more few bob, or you might just like to protect your few bob by investing in something that won't lose value. Well, did you ever think in investing in a designer handbag? This is a world which is a complete and utter mystery to me. So to tell us a little bit about it, I'm joined on the line now by Ella de Guzman, who is the owner of Shop Ella, which I think is one of the best shop names ever. Shop Ella uh, in Dublin. Hi, Ella. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much. No, not at all. It's good to talk to you today. Um, Now, Ella, I'm right in thinking that your shop is a shop for pre-loved um, bags, isn't that correct? I like how you use the word pre-loved instead of used, but yeah, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think in this case it's probably very appropriate. So, I know. just before we talk about about your shop, can you give us an idea? Because as I say, this is way out of my kind of uh, realm of experience. What kind of money do people, women, spend on designer handbags when they're buying them in BTs or buying them new? Well, we sell everything from, you know, your high street brands up to high end. Like, so the most expensive bag we have in store right now is the Hermes Birkin, which is 19000 But then we do sell also like Marc Jacobs and Michael Kors bags for €99. Euros. So we have a quite a range with that. We have two locations on Wicklow Street here in Dublin. Um, so we've been around since 2011 buying and selling designer bags. Uh, people bring in their designer bags to us. Like they were, All the bags are owned by the public, hence the word you know, Shopa Ella. You know how Irish Ella actually means. Ella's other. Uh, yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. yeah, we've been a long time. We've probably recycled over 140,000 pieces in the last 11 years. OK, I'm going to row you back there a little bit because I fell off the chair and I've just climbed yeah. back on again when you said 19. 19- yeah. And is that as like, I, I know I, I'm saying pre-loved, but what we're talking to secondhand. Are you telling me that there's somebody who'll pay 19,000 for a secondhand pre-loved bag? Well, they haven't paid for it yet, but yes, they do. They do buy them. Uh, the most one of the bags that we sold recently um was this was actually a couple of years ago? It was an Hermes, a black Birkin. It was thirteen and a half thousand. The current retail price of that during the time was about seven thousand. And the gentleman who bought it from us knew that he was paying nearly double retail, but he really wanted the bag and he didn't want to wait for it because you have to pretty much put on a Hermes waiting list, which is quite secretive. Oh right, I get it now. So the pennies just dropped here. My father was right all those years ago, telling me that I was daft. Um, so. So these people want the bags that are not available, if you like, in the shops because of wait lists or because they're vintage. Is that right? 
Exactly. It's the, it's the demand for them. And every year, Birkins and Chanel bags go up in value. So if you're, if you're looking at in any investment pieces, you should always really look at the three core brands, which are Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Hermes. They're the three brands that would never go on sale. So, for example, I sold a Chanel bag back in 2011 for, I think it was about 2K. So 2,000 euros. That same Chanel bag right now would be trading for upwards of 8,000. So say you, purchased, say you were the one that purchased that bag for me back in 2011, right? Yeah. If you were to resell that bag to me now, I would give you six thousand four hundred for that exact same bag that you only paid two thousand for. Well, so, how, holy God! <laughs> if we only had a crystal ball, though, I probably would have bought a hundred hundred thousand units back then. You know, eleven years ago, but you just don't know. But historically speaking, Chanel bags always go up in value. Same with Louis Vuitton, and same with Hermes. And so, if you were going to pay, say, you gave the example there of in two thousand eleven that you sold a bag for fifteen hundred, I think. And you'd, you're saying now that you would give her 4000 in cash for the same bag as long as it was in good exactly. condition. So how much would you sell it on for? Or are you going to tell me that? Probably not. <laughs> you get 80% back on Chanel Classic Flaps, right? So if I were to sell that bag for, if I'm giving you 4000 cash, that would mean I'm selling it on for 5000 Right. So get 4000 which is 80% of five. Wow. I'm absolutely, yeah. I'm absolutely uh, and completely gobsmacked. Um, so... Is is are these designer handbags? Is it a bit like the housing market? Can it go up as well as down, as the fellas always say on the radio, with financial stuff? I mean, do bags ever go down in price? Could you buy a bag thinking I'm going to hang on to this? I'm not going to ever use it. I'm going to keep it in its box, and then I'm going to bring it into shop Ella in a year or two's time, and I'm going to double me money. Do they ever go the other way? It depends. too. you're you're really at the mercy of the brand. So an exa- a good example of this would be the Louis Vuitton the tea bag. So during lockdown, we were selling them for upwards of two and a half, between two, 2,200 to two and a half thousand, right? Right. And then Louis Vuitton all of a sudden started stocking them again. So then the price, the resale price went down back to 1,500. Right. And right now we're seeing a huge demand for the Louis Vuitton bum bag, which I can't seem to get in stock. But we recently did get one in stock that we resold for 2,500, which is effectively a thousand euros more than what Louis Vuitton are selling the bum bags at. Holy. But they've discontinued them, right? So you can't actually get them from Louis Vuitton anymore. So one of my friends, uh, Erica, she was she's been wanting a bum bag for ages. And I said, you know, it's a big risk because if they start restocking them, then you've effectively paid a thousand euros too much. If Louis Vuitton were to restock them at fifteen hundred, does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just fascinated. Listen, and I, I mean, you know, to me, uh, who uses a handbag, obviously, how do you, I mean, if you buy inve- an investment bag like this and you're spending, a, you know, multiples of thousands of euros. Do these women actually use these bags or do they just sit in their wardrobes? I mean, you wouldn't be putting that bag on the floor. You'd be afraid to put your makeup into it in case anything leaked or a pen or any of the things that you use a bag for. So what do they put in the bag? I know you have to be careful. Like I took a baby pink Chanel lambskin boy bag to a party once and I swear to God, I had to like tell people step away from me. Because you have to be careful. You're like, don't touch me, don't hug me, stay away from my bag. And the whole night, I literally had, you know, those white tablecloths um, that you get wet better weddings. I had that wrapped around my Chanel bag, and like, and everyone's like, you look ridiculous. I'm like, I know, but this bag is four thousand. I need to, I need to, I need to protect it. God Almighty! I, I mean, I'm absolutely and utterly, uh, yeah. Just gobsmacked. Well, listen, that's been an education. Every day is every day is a school day. Um, I mean, I don't think I'll ever have the kind of money that I can invest in a handbag myself. Um, but I'm going to go home and think about all of this. And maybe instead of a pension, maybe instead I of a know. pension, I'd be better off having a handbag. 
Well, yeah, because if you do take care of your thing, like I always say to customers, don't see it, like say, for example, you take a 1,000-year handbag, you take care of it. Don't see it as a 1,000-year purchase. See it as a 300-year purchase because I will buy that back from you and then you get 700 euros back from 1,000, right? Okay. You can easily spend like, you know, you know money on, a, on 10 Zara handbags that have no value once you once you finish using them. Whereas nice. if you invest in a Chanel bag, at least you know you're going to get 700 euros back so long as you don't get any makeup or pen marks or anything in the bag. So long okay. as you don't use it, in other words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Ella, that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. I'm going to go home. I'll be driving home thinking about this now again and trying to do the sums in my head. But anyway, uh, listen, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed that. That was Ella de Guzman there. Her shop is called Shopa Ella uh, and uh, you can visit her also on her Instagram and she has a website if that is something that tickles your fancy. This, however, is Son of a Preacher Man and this is Dusty Springfield. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch. It's Barbara Scully here and I'm still thinking about Chapa Ella and Ella and her designer handbags and the money and the numbers. Anyway, I think I'll be thinking about that probably for the next 24 hours. Somebody has called in saying she missed the um, uh, how to get rid of spiders. Uh, you didn't miss much, Mrs, because I've only got one tip um, which came in, which was, um, well, I got it a few times, but it came in and that was using peppermint, peppermint oil, I think essential oil or a peppermint oil spray and putting it around uh, maybe the windows and anywhere else where you think a spider might be coming in. Now, somebody said to me the other day that chestnuts, which obviously there is a load of chestnuts around at the minute, that chestnuts also spiders don't like chestnuts. Um, and but again I, I presume you just put the chestnuts wherever you think there might be a spider which you know might be a bit problematic I have visions of finding chestnuts that have gone you know mouldy like years after you put them down but if it works it works but anyway I'll keep you posted if you have any ideas about spiders let us know now 86 658 now it's time for this The Late Lunch Artist of the Week Artist of the Week so our Artist of the Week uh, this week, I have indulged myself. One of my favourite bands from the 80s, Duran Duran. Um, and Duran Duran really were catapulted into the mainstream by the um, 24-hour music channel MTV, which kind of launched shortly after they did as a band. Um, and yesterday I mentioned the controversial video for the song we played yesterday, which was Girls on Film, um, which was, you know, dodgy to say the least. Uh, but after that, the band went for um, a more kind of exotic and slightly more subtle sexiness in their videos, which were legendary at the time. I mean, these were really, really groundbreaking. Our song today is Hungry Like the Wolf and it was taken from the band's second album, which was called Rio. The song was released in May 1982 and uh, as the band's fifth single in the UK and it reached number five. The video again which was the big deal was filmed in the jungles of Sri Lanka and had a very kind of Indiana Jones uh, feel to it. Although initially the band failed to break into the US market MTV placed Hungry Like the Wolf into a heavy rotation and subsequently a year after it was released this song peaked at number three in the American Billboard charts and Duran Duran became an international sensation. This video also won the Grammy Award for the best short form music video in 1984 and the song is pretty good too. This is Hungry Like the Wolf. (laughs) We all know that Ireland uh, punches way above her weight when it comes to writing but did you know that we also have some of the most successful crime writers who write internationally successful bestsellers and most of those crime writers, I think, are women. So it's no surprise to hear that we also have a crime writing festival called 
Murder Run. And it returns as a live event this year, but it is also live streamed and it takes place from the 4th to the 9th of October next. Here to tell me more about it, I am joined now on the line by Vanessa O'Loughlin, who is actually one of those successful crime writers and whose books are published under the name, her pen name, which is Sam Blake. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? Hi, Barbara. Thanks so much for having me. Not at all. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm right in saying that, haven't I, Vanessa, that it seems to me that most of our our, our top crime writers are, in fact, women. Yeah, it's it's quite strange, actually. It seems to be divided. Um, And in the North of Ireland, it's mainly the men. um, And in the South, it's mainly the women. Yeah, it's very strange. I'm sure. Phenomenon. Yeah, it should probably take somebody much cleverer than you and I, you or I, to work out why that is that we have all these women writing some really dark (laughs) stories. (laughs) But anyway... I think it's to do with women and fear, to be honest, and understanding um, that that sort of that thing. And I think that's why we're writing crime. Wow, I never thought of it that way. Right, women and fear. Anyway, listen, tell us what is Murder One? What can people expect? What's going on? We are delighted to be back in person this year. Yeah, it's same. in uh, the Dunleary Lexicon venue. They've got a fantastic, huge library that's in Dunleary, so right next to the Dart Station, really easy to get to. And we've got a whole host of um, authors. We've got Anne Cleves coming, who is the author of the Shetland series you might have seen on television recently. Yeah. And we've got Mick Heron, who wrote Slow Horses, which everybody went mad for on Netflix, also very recently. Um, we've got Steve Kavanagh coming down from the north. We've got an amazing author called Lisa Jewell, um, who's a British author who sold millions of books coming as well and then we've got some great panels the Irish women that you mentioned there um, we've got Catherine Ryan Howard um, and Andrea Mara um, both um, international bestsellers um, you know not just here elsewhere as well UK and the States um, Arlene Hunt's coming um, there's a whole load of different people lots of, lots of people names people are recognised Right, great. So tell us about, say, say. I know one of the events I was looking, I know your headline event is with Lucy Worsley and I think that's sold out. It but is, we have ha- a waiting list. Oh, you have a waiting list. Okay, yeah. well, that, that's good to know. Um, so tell me about some of the themes. I know one of the events you have is called Let's Twist Again. I'm talking about, and you're talking to authors like Andrea Mara, who are kind of known for their incredible twist in the tale of their books. Absolutely. And Catherine Ryan Howard, who's 56 Days, uh, was number one for ages. Uh, and Arlene's on that panel too, actually. Yeah, that's going to be a really good one. I'm really interested. I love a book that really challenges you. And, um, you know, when you're reading, you, you think you know what's going to happen and then something completely unexpected happens. Um, and that's the twist. Um, and that's something that I think Irish women are particularly good at. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about. How they set up those twists, where they get their ideas from. Um, really just yeah, how, how do you bring it to the page? Because it's not easy. It's not easy. No, I mean, writing a book, as I know, like even a, a non-fiction kind of fairly straightforward thing isn't easy. So I just, I am always in awe of people who manage to do these like amazing twists in books. They're, they're powers of imagination or something else. You have another event then, um, which also has an Irish writer, an Irish female writer, Sinead Crowley involved, talking about sins of the past. Oh, yeah, that's going to be great. So she's written a fantastic book called The Belladonna Maze, which has a dual timeline um, and goes back right to the famine. Um, and it's just a beautiful book. If anybody's seen it in the shops, it's got gorgeous sprayed edges and a beautiful cover. Um, so that's really, it's a fantastic book. I've read it. It's just gorgeous. Um, and she's talking with uh, Vasim Khan, who has written a whole series um, set uh, called the Malabar House series, which is set in India, but with India's first female detective. So although he's a male writer, he's writing um, in the female voice. Um, and also Bill Ryan or William Ryan who a lot of you will be familiar with um, who is this book is called The House of Ghosts 
Um, and they're also they're all historical books. Um, and really, we're going to be talking about the research that goes into historical fiction. You know how you find the story and um, and those hooks, and again the twists and things that make it interesting. Yeah. Um, Basu's books are amazing. The ones set in India, because literally as you're reading them, you feel like you're walking down the street. Um, you know, he, he yeah. actually started off writing the series. It was all to do with an elephant that he saw walking down the road. Um, and his first um, series of books, not the Manabal House ones, was about um, an inspector who was who was left a baby elephant and had to look after it. <laughs> um, so, you know, for the for the thousands of people who read uh, crime fiction in Ireland, those kind of events would be absolutely fascinating. But you're also for budding writers. You also have um, master classes, and one in particular I know you have with ex police officers, and I think an ex guardie on proceedings which must be a very big part of crime writing. Huge. And I think even if you're not writing crime, even if you're writing women's fiction and you've got um, something dramatic happening in the middle um, that might, you know, move into the area where you're going to involve the police, um, whatever that might be, um, it's going to be a really useful uh, workshop. It's actually, and that's a particular one is an online workshop, so you can watch it from anywhere in the world. Fantastic. Graham Bartlett is fascinating, actually. He's the guy who's giving it. He is Peter James' um, police advisor, and he used to be um, the commander in Brighton, that whole area. So he's a really senior police officer. He's come out of the police now. He advises on film and some really, really heavyweight authors. Um, and basically, he's there to get the procedure right because it's so easy to make a mistake or to, you know, mm-hmm. not know. And they can just answer, both of them will be able to answer all your questions. Casey King's going to be there. She's a detective with the Guardi, so uh, she'll give the Irish side. Yeah, very important, very important. Yeah. Listen, it sounds like a, an amazing uh, uh, event and I'd say that people, as you said, if you can get to Dunleary, great. Um, the lexicon, as you say, is on the seafront there. It's uh, easy reach as a dart. But you can also, many of these events are available to watch virtually. So for more information, if you go to murder1.ie, you will find all the information and the, the way that you can book your tickets for whichever uh, you want. Uh, Vanessa, I know you, as I mentioned, you write as Sam Blake. Your latest book, Remember My Name, is I'm taking correct that's in stores at yep. the moment it is indeed yep oh, good. back in November excellent excellent listen I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today and the best of luck with the festival I'm sure it'll be an absolute smash and that's it from us today another show done the tide's getting faster every week I'm back here again tomorrow at half past one don't go away the drive is next and this is Harry Styles. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.